going to look at Matthew 6. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to go to uh, verses 25 through 34 today in Matthew 6. So if you don't mind, would you rise with me, and, and we'll read these verses. They'll be up on the screen behind me. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we, we hear these words, we love these words, we hope in these words, but reality is they're hard words. We experience anxiety and, and worry all the time in our lives. And so, Father, I just pray that you open our eyes to help us walk in the wisdom of your truth so that we can experience this truth, this reality in our own lives that Jesus gives us here to some greater degree as a result of seeking you and seeking first your kingdom. And so open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to the truth that you would press into us today that would change how we live. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so here's the question I have for you guys. Can any of you think of a time when you had knowledge but you didn't have wisdom? I want to give you an example in my own life. One time I was changing out a ceiling fan and simultaneously watching a football game. Where were you guys when I started this project? <laughs> I had the knowledge to know to not touch the hot wire. I didn't have the wisdom to cut the power. Because I had the knowledge that if I cut the power, the TV will go off and I won't be able to see the end of the game. I didn't have the wisdom to watch the end of the game and then change the ceiling van. I had the knowledge to insulate myself with rubber shoes. 
I didn't have the wisdom to recognize that my leg was touching the metal ladder. I had the knowledge to pay close attention to what I was actually touching when my hands were near the wires. I didn't have the wisdom to not look at the TV when the announcers went crazy. You see where this is going, right? There was a surprise touchdown. They're shouting on the television. The announcers are screaming. My team scored with less than 30 seconds left and had just won the game. And I turned to look and see. And then there's this popping sound and a little puff of smoke and this fiery tingling in my arm. And I'm on the ground realizing that I had just acquired some more wisdom about electricity. <laughs> and that wisdom was this, always respect electricity. I also realized I had required a bit more knowledge. And that knowledge was that stupid hurts. Here's my point. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Knowledge is knowing that a street is one way. Wisdom is still looking in both directions before you cross. Knowledge is knowing what to say, and wisdom is knowing when not to say it. See, in simple terms, knowledge is what I know, and wisdom is acting on what I know. Knowledge comes from study and it comes from learning. Wisdom comes from observation and experience. Knowledge is about the past. It's about what I've learned. Wisdom is about the future. How will I live? Knowledge is learning something every day. Wisdom is letting go of something every day. See, we all get caught in a knowledge-based society. That's just where we are. That's where we live. And if you look around you, I don't think any of you would disagree with that because our society is by, ruled by knowledge right now, not wisdom. It's all about what we know, not how we act. And, and author and, and scientist Isaac Asimov, he lamented this infatuation with knowledge and lack of wisdom. Listen to what he said. The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. We live in a society that's gorging itself on knowledge and starving for wisdom. And so as a result, we become enthralled with this question, can I, can we do this, can I do that? And we ignore the question, should we? Should we do that? Should we pursue this? And so knowledge as information, as intellectual advancement, as grasping of facts and of explanations is really growing in our culture right now. We know more than we've ever known. All the while, wisdom as moral living and right choosing and good actions and mature growth is diminishing. We have a lot of knowledge and a little wisdom. And that outcome is that our society is decaying, that there's confusion and uncertainty. We don't know what to do or how to act anymore. And that shouldn't be shocking to us as apprentices of Jesus. Listen to this in Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. As reverence for God and righteous fear of the Lord has decreased in our culture, we would expect wisdom to fall by the wayside, wouldn't we? Because wisdom comes from God. And as he gets diminished, wisdom goes away. Unfortunately, this is true in the church also. We're in that same danger zone of pursuing knowledge instead of wisdom. 
We're in that danger of falling into overemphasizing knowledge instead of seeking wisdom. We're in danger of gathering and hoarding more knowledge about God and more insights into Scripture and more understanding of Jesus as a concept and not letting that knowledge become wisdom for us. And here's how knowledge builds into wisdom. Action and realization. What you know is not wisdom until you act on it and have some realization around it. And so listen to this. This is what wisdom is in my opinion. Wisdom is acting on what you know to be true and realizing that you don't know all truth. Wisdom is acting on what you know to be true and also realizing that you don't know all truth. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we know truth, we know reality. And that knowledge becomes wisdom when we live as if what we profess to believe is actually true. When we have knowledge of Christ and don't live as if it's true, we're not living wisely. So understanding wisdom in this way brings us back to our verses for today. And so as we continue into Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, we have to revisit the crossroads we faced in the first week that idea of teaching or training. So you remember, Jesus came to make us into what he teaches that we should be. That makes his words in the Sermon on the Mount more than just teaching. They're actually training tools. And so last week, we looked at the crossroads of absence or intimacy in the Lord's Prayer. We should be seeking intimacy with God. Now we get to the wisdom of finding that intimacy with God. And that brings us to a crossroads for this week. Knowledge or wisdom? What are you seeking? You seeking to know more? Or are you seeking to live wisely? Because here's what's happening in Matthew 6. Embedded in these words of Jesus in Matthew 6 are training exercises, actual practices that when we embrace them in the power of the Holy Spirit actually train us to live in intimacy with God. These practices transform us into the person Jesus teaches us that we should be. It doesn't just happen without our participation. We have to step into that wisely, determine to live wisely, and practice the things that Jesus did. And he introduces them in this uh, Matthew 6. He introduces them with this phrase, when you. And so everywhere you see when you, he's introducing a practice. And so in Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the needy, in Matthew 6, 5, when you pray, in Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, in Matthew 6, 19, when you store up treasures, in Matthew 6, 24, when you serve the master of your life, whoever that master may be, all of these are practices, and these practices are a response to the Holy Spirit's invitation to you and to me to be transformed in the way that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory into the very image of God, into the image of Christ. And so knowledge tells me who Jesus is. Wisdom shows me how to become like him. Knowledge becomes wisdom through practice. Jesus gives us practices here in Matthew 6. This isn't an exhaustive list of practices, by the way, but that's the starting point. And so as the church, we need to move past the question, which can be answered with knowledge, where would I go if I died tonight? 
And we need to move into the question, the deeper question that can only be asked with wisdom, which is this. If I don't die tonight, how will I live tomorrow? That's the question we have to press into. That's the question that Jesus is implying in Matthew 6 with all these practices he introduces. When you. What if it was when you draw a breath, how will you live? When you wake up each morning, what will you pursue? And so remember, wisdom is about acting on what you know to be true and realizing that you don't know all truth. So for example, if I want to run a marathon, but I'm not a person who can do that right now, which I'm not, I'm also not a person who would want to do that, but I know that training by running and working out will make me into the kind of person who could run a marathon. So assume, as far out as it is, that I actually wanted to run a marathon, wisdom would demand that I act by starting a training program, that I do the kind of things on a regular and daily basis that will make me into the kind of person who could run 26 miles without dying. I'm not that person today but I know that I could be if I so desired, if I wisely used my time to train. And so wisdom demands that I act by starting a training program that will make me into the kind of person who can run a marathon if I desire to run a marathon. The training program that we're offered here in Matthew 6 presented us in the life of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is simply things like this, giving and praying and fasting and focusing on the eternal and serving God. These are all the training practices that Jesus introduces here to become like him. And I know these practices will make me like Jesus. Therefore, wisdom demands that I practice these things. And so if I want at the invitation of the Holy Spirit to do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and be transformed into the very image of Christ, then I need to wisely engage practices. See, the unfortunate thing is oftentimes we stop at knowledge of Jesus instead of engaging in the practices of Jesus. Do you know him? Yes, I know him. Are you becoming like him? Well, that's a different question. It's a different question altogether. And I say the practices of Jesus because these are the very practices he himself engaged in, that God invited him into and he lived into so that he could live in perfect, unbroken union with God. Jesus gave generously. We see that in John 15, 13. He prayed fervently. It's in Luke twenty two forty four. And these are just examples. These aren't isolated incidences. Jesus fasted in Matthew 4, 2. He focused on the eternal. Look at John 14, 3. He served God. Mark 10, 45. Jesus practiced these things because he was perfectly wise. Wisdom demands that we practice what we know to be true. And as he did these things, they were reflexive for him. They were spontaneous for him. And that reveals a truth to us that where we spontaneously look for information on how to live shows who we really have confidence in. Is your default when a problem comes up to look into yourself or is it to look to God? When there's hardship and difficulty, do you look to a friend who always has good advice or do you spontaneously turn to God? 
That's not an indictment. That's a diagnostic. Think about that when things come into your life. Ask yourself the question, who am I looking towards to show me how to live in this moment? Because here's the thing. Wise people look to God when they're trying to figure out how to live because they have become confident in God. Where my confidence is is where I will turn when I'm not sure how to live. That's exactly what Jesus did. And that's the purest definition of godly wisdom I can think of. Looking to God when I don't know how to live. When there's sorrow and grief and hardship and unresolved problems and questions I don't have answers to, who am I going to look to? Am I going to turn to Google? Am I going to look to God? Am I going to go into prayer or am I going to start having conversations with people who I think can tell me what to do. But the purest definition of godly wisdom is looking to God when I need information on how to live. And we do that through practice. The same practices of Jesus. Those are wise practices that he engaged in to stay in unbroken union with God. See, knowledge is about getting information, but wisdom is about acting on it. Knowledge of how practices change and transform us is absolutely useless without the wisdom to practice those things. We all know many, many things that if we started doing them would change our lives in certain ways for the better. The question is, do I have enough wisdom to engage those things instead of Netflix? Do I have enough wisdom to go to bed early instead of staying up late because I know I want to get up tomorrow morning early with God? Do I have enough wisdom to say the things that are not doing anything good and godly in me, I will step away from and engage things that are practices. Even when I don't want to engage those things, I'll engage those things because I know they're doing something in me. I had a friend years ago, and he knew that I worked out at the gym, and he went to another gym, and, and he kept saying, come work out with us, come work out with us, come work out. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, why not? You go all the time. I said, yeah, but you guys like it. I don't like it. I don't want to work out with people who like it. I want to be around people like me who don't like it. And he couldn't wrap his mind around that. But the thing is this. I didn't like the process. I liked the outcome. Wisdom is saying I don't like the process, but I'm still going to walk in it because there's an outcome. So here at Temple, we want you to have a sound and true and full knowledge of Jesus. We want to lift him up and present him as he truly is. We want you to know him, but we want you to have that knowledge of him so that you wisely choose how to live in that knowledge. We don't want to be a people who have a filled up headspace and an empty heart space. We don't want to be a people who can come in and tell you the chronological order of all the judges in the history of Israel and don't know how to love their neighbor. Wisdom demands we become something, not just know something. And so with this understanding of who Jesus is, the invitation then is to wisely structure the habits and the rhythms of our daily lives around the person of Christ to make him the central focus, to have a heavenly focus that permeates everything that we do and everything that we think and everything we want and everything we invest in and everything we pursue. 
And we believe that we do this by pressing into our purpose as a church. And so hopefully you could say this yourselves, but I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. But this is our purpose as a church. We want to love God passionately and serve our neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally because we believe that if we practice a lifestyle that pursues this purpose, we will be living in the wisdom of Christ, not just the knowledge of Christ. And that our lives will be changed. And other people will see us live wisely and want to know why, want to know how. The greatest evangelistic tool is a transformed heart, which shows up in a transformed life. As we become that, we are living, breathing evangelists in our own circle, in our own little corner of the world. See, knowledge is good, but to have knowledge and do nothing with it is folly. I had knowledge of electricity before I tried to take a ceiling fan out and watch a football game simultaneously. I knew about electricity, but I didn't do anything with it because what I wanted was what I wanted. Therefore, I lived unwisely. Listen to this in James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom, that is, living the life of Jesus shows up in our works, in what we do, in our deeds. So the church then should be investing in pressing the knowledge of Christ to all believers. But we should also be investing in encouraging believers to live lives of wisdom. It can't stop in my head. It must go to my heart and my feet and my hands and my mouth. Living as if we, what we know to be true is actually true is a life of wisdom. Listen to this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It's a great picture of the role of the church. And it's a dualistic role. It's a role of knowledge and wisdom. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, that is all of us. Every one of us has been given to this body by God with some talent and gift that comes from his spirit. That's the church. And each of us has been given here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the instilling of the knowledge of Jesus, but it's also inviting the saints, the body of Christ, to live in wisdom. We have to have the invitation that comes with the knowledge, which says, how now shall you live? Knowing what you now know, how shall you live? And that's what wisdom demands, we ask ourselves. Knowing what I now know of Christ, how shall I live today? And as we do that, that leads to unity in faith and it leads to more knowledge of Christ. It's a cycle. Be equipped by the church with knowledge of Christ and opportunities to act on the knowledge, that, which is wisdom, 
And then what you find is that you're gaining more knowledge of Christ as you act wisely on the knowledge you have, which leads to more opportunities to exercise wisdom. And we keep doing that until we're all unified in faith and the knowledge of Christ, until we're all mature, made mature by the Holy Spirit into the full image of Christ. And so in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus gives us the outcome of this cycle. And he uses the example of anxiousness to show us what the life of wisdom leads to. And he says, don't be anxious. See, that statement, don't be anxious, is not a command. Because he never tells us to do things we can't do. It is impossible for human beings to not feel anxiousness unless we're transformed into people who are heavenly focused, not earthly focused. I know it's strange and maybe even sounds impossible to hear those words, don't be anxious. But that's only because we're habitually inclined toward this earthly and physical world. Everything in front of us draws our attention back to here. And anxiousness begins to dissolve along with a variety of other feelings that are associated with worry and fear and uncertainty as we make the practices of Jesus our habits, our lifestyle. These habits create space for us to focus on Jesus, on the reality of God and on heaven here in this world. Simple example. Let's say you commit to start every morning with an hour of prayer, sitting in God's presence. That hour is you pushing out all of the worries of the world and saying, the only thing that's gonna matter to me right now is you here now. That's it. And as we do that, we eventually become people who don't get anxious over things. Those habits create space, and that space changes us. And then what happens is what the old hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim. That's what happens as our focus shifts as we become the kind of people who can look above this uncertainty and chaos and worry and see God in all of that. And once you see God in all of it, you start to not see the all of it. You start to focus on him. And so as we get to the end of Matthew 6, we, get, we start to close in on the end of Matthew 6. We see verse 33, and Jesus gives us knowledge and wisdom and training and a key practice all in one verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Maybe, maybe that's the wisest question we can ask in a moment. What am I seeking right now? I feel anxious, I feel fear, I feel worry, I feel threatened, I feel uncertain. Maybe the question that we ask is, what am I seeking in this moment? Am I seeking first God's kingdom or am I seeking first my comfort? Am I seeking first God's kingdom or am I seeking first my image? Am I seeking first God's kingdom or am I seeking first the perception that all of you have of me? Am I seeking first God's kingdom or my bank account? Maybe that's the question that wisdom demands we ask throughout our daily lives. When all of those things come that Jesus says not to feel, don't be anxious. I feel anxious. Let me ask the question, what am I seeking? 
What's my priority in this? See, our job as a church, as the body of Christ here at Temple, is to help each other live into the wisdom of seeking first the kingdom of God. We do that together. Remember Ephesians 4? The church, us, has been given. Teachers and prophets and evangelists and shepherds. So that we will all grow in unity, in knowledge of Christ, and mature in the Holy Spirit. And so if you desire to seek first the kingdom of God because you know that wisdom demands that you act on what you know, we got you covered. That's the job of the church. The church as a corporate body, the job we have is twofold. One, to make sure that we all know Jesus. Two, to give you opportunities to live wisely in ways that say he matters most. That's what the training practices of Jesus are. That's why we do them as a body here. See, ministry, when you get down to it, is all about inviting and encouraging the church to live in a way that allows the knowledge of Christ to become wisdom in your life. That's the role of the church. We give you the knowledge, the knowledge of Christ, of who he is, of his desire for you, his longing for you, what he wants for you. And then we give you opportunities to live into that wisely. And we believe that we do that by helping you know the God who you can love passionately and to give you places where your wise living can serve your neighbors generously and to help you find and engage the practices of Jesus that help you grow in Christ intentionally. And one of those opportunities to serve our neighbors generously has been our Christmas hampers program. It's a great ministry that serves our neighbors generously by providing food to those who are in need at Christmas time. For years, we've had incredible people like Ange Burkhart who shop all year long. Ange, are you in here? If she was, she... Stand up, Ange, we want to give you a big hand. You guys have no idea. Thank you so much for all you've done. Imagine that you shopped on a weekly basis for a family of about 1,500. That's what Angie's been doing throughout the year, every year, to get us ready for hampers. But she's been buying food throughout the year. She's been sorting it, and she's storing it, and she's keeping an inventory of it. Well, we felt like if we're going to embrace wisdom, if we're going to live out of our knowledge of Christ to serve our neighbors generously, that our hamper pro hampers program was a great place to do that. So this year, we're going to make it a practice that all of us, as a church, can embrace and grow in Christ intentionally in. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to embrace the practice of giving in the same way Jesus did, by making it a lifestyle. Now, I know you're thinking, it's not even July, and we're talking about Christmas stuff. But here's the thing. Just because the food lands in our neighbor's pantries in Christmas doesn't mean that we can't be trained in this lifestyle and act wisely throughout the whole year. Here's how that's going to work. When you leave church this morning and every Sunday, if you look to your right, there's a hampers area. There's shelves there. 
There's food there. On your way out of church, there'll be a little slip of paper you can grab. And each Sunday, it'll have highlighted items that we're collecting that week. So we're not going to tell you, just go buy stuff and bring it back. We're going to actually tell you what to buy. Which, guys, we really appreciate that, don't we? Your wife sends you to Walmart and you're like, just give me a list. Otherwise, I'm going to come back with all kinds of stuff that you don't want and I'm going to be in trouble. So, gentlemen, this is for you. We have a list. Go out, pick up a little slip of paper. Each week, there'll be three items on it that will say, this is what we're collecting this week. This is how we're going to make sure that we get all that we need in those hampers. And by doing that, wisdom is going to become a habit. And here's what I mean. The wisdom of exercising our gifts and abilities to meet the needs of others. The wisdom of saying there are people in our community who are hungry at Christmas time. We must serve them generously. will become a habit. And the habits lead to a lifestyle. And that will eventually, in us, form the same generous heart of Jesus through our practices, through our engagement. We want this practice to be something that we can all engage in year-round. Because wisdom is about acting on what you know to be true and realizing you don't know all the truth. Hampers is an opportunity to act on what we know to be true, what we see in Matthew 6. Because there are people in our community who are anxious about what they're going to eat, who are anxious about what they're going to wear. We have the answer to that anxiety. To not share it would be unwise. And so as the wisdom of Christ comes to life in us the same way it came to life in him, we begin to practice habits to become a lifestyle that transform us into the very image of Christ. Remember, the job of the church is to give you opportunities to practice wise living. That's what we're doing. This isn't the only way. There's plenty of other opportunities that we can walk with you in to help you live wisely. But this is probably the biggest way as a church that we can all engage this. And we can overwhelm this community with the food that they need that they're worried about so that we can say, be anxious about nothing. But in all things, seek first the kingdom of God. And here's a box of food that proves that truth to you, a reality that you can embrace on your own apart from us, that can actually become your lifestyle, that can actually transform your life and your heart and your mind. We have to remember that Jesus came to make us into what he teaches that we should be. That's his purpose, that's his goal. Ultimately, he does that by paying for our sins by saying, what you can be is in my Father's presence for all of eternity. I'll take care of that for you. Just accept this offer for me. But he doesn't stop there. He wants us to actually live as he lived, to become who he is, to reflect his image to a lost and dying world. And that's where wisdom comes in. To do the things that Jesus did so that I can be transformed into the image of him is wisdom. Knowledge is great, but it's also useless if you don't act on it. 
Father, we're so grateful that, that we have a knowledge of you, that you've revealed yourself to us, that you've shown us who you are and who we can be in your son Jesus, God. And we thank you that, that you have designed the church to be a place where we can be trained up to become the kind of people who live wisely, first and foremost for your glory and then for the benefit of others. And so God, as we embark on this, this new way of, of supplying the needs of our community, of, of going to others and being able to say, hey, don't be anxious about anything, not even what you're gonna eat, because the heart of Christ at Temple Baptist Church wants to provide your needs through the riches of Christ. But God, we don't want that to be a one-way street. We want it to be a two-way street. And so do something in us as we practice this as habit, as lifestyle. Make us into the same type of generous people that Jesus himself was. Freely giving. Freely being concerned about others and not about self. And knowing that ultimately, as we seek you, everything gets added to us anyway. And so God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you up for this truth that as we live wisely, we can become the kind of people who don't necessarily have to live in the anxiety of this world. But we can let this world grow strangely dim as we seek first your kingdom and find you at the center of it. We ask that you be with us in this endeavor as a church, as a community of believers, but also as families and individuals who take this on together. Be with us as we move towards this lifestyle of generous heart to bless others and to glorify you. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen.